Still, economists warn this recession will be unlike other downturns in recent history. In terms of GDP loss, the only thing I'm compared to really is not a financial crisis. Eight trillion dollars have been pumped into the globe. If a recession is coming, the question is how bad it will be. So almost everyone agrees that this is pretty bad right now. Fortunately for us mere mortals, governments are here to the rescue with swathes of economic bailouts, stimulus checks, and hardship support. Many people have already benefited from this, and it's hopefully giving some comfort and stability to individuals during these more turbulent times. We have seen time and time again that all participants in an economy want some kind of certainty about the future of their nation, and all eyes are turning to governments to provide this, even during the best of times, but especially during the worst of times. Given that 2020 has pretty obviously been the worst of times, it is a showcase of which nations have been best equipped to address these types of concerns, both from a humanitarian level, but of course, for the sake of this video, an economic perspective. We are living through an event that will shape economic policy for generations to come. So while we are amongst it, it's an ideal time to explore what economic responses we want to replicate in the future, and which governments have completely fumbled the economic response of 2020. By doing this, we should be able to discern what it is that makes government spending work or not work to create a strong and healthy economy. So to do this, we probably need to look at a few things. The first is to look at policies that should work and have been effectively rolled out. It's always nice to learn from other people's victories. We should also explore if a universal basic income is a workable solution. We need to explore the largest government stimulus in human history. And then for the fun of it, we should look at what possible solutions exist to deal with a similar crisis into the future. If we can make accurate predictions, then we will be in a much stronger position to act on a similar disaster next time it comes up. And if we can't make accurate predictions, well, at least we are like every other academic economist ever. So with all of that out of the way, let's look at how these big money giveaways are supposed to work, at least in theory. So we have explored the standard economic framework to government stimulus and monetary theory before, but that was all hypothetical, and that video was published before most governments released how they were responding to the big Rona. The basic rundown is that you should tax more and spend less government money during the good times while keeping interest rates pretty high to try and stop people spending too much, or racking up too much debt. When there is any type of slowdown, you want to do the opposite. You lower taxes and interest rates and raise government spending all in an attempt to put more money in people's pockets which they can go out and spend and keep the whole economic machine ticking along. This whole theory has a simple elegance to it, but of course in reality it is never, ever this simple. When you add in complexities like political ideologies, external pressures and basic human nature, it can make following these simple instructions quite difficult. Potentially one of the greatest examples of this has been my own home country of Australia. Australia's leading party at the moment is the Liberal government, who was recently re-elected on the assumption that they would bring the federal budget back into surplus. The idea of a government budget being run like a strong household budget was highly appealing to a lot of their voting base, and they were re-elected in a surprise victory that almost nobody expected. The takeaway from this though is that they were elected for having a budget surplus. Turning around and giving billions of dollars in stimulus would undoubtedly put the economy back into a deficit, which would make them look a little bit silly. Of course, nobody that actually understood the dynamics of counter-cyclical fiscal policy would have too much of a problem with this debt, but not many people understand the dynamics of counter-cyclical fiscal policy. 
and going back on your primary election promise six months into your leadership might be a bit of a bad look to the lowest common denominator. Fortunately for Australia, a few things have worked out. The first is that the people in charge are at the beginning of their leadership term. Elections in Australia are held once every three years, which has given the government some wiggle room to basically say, fuck our election promises. People will have forgotten about it in two and a half years time anyway, which has meant the government has been able to turn around and print lots and lots of money to stimulate the economy by going into debt without the fear of it really hurting their chances of re-election too severely. The other thing to consider is that Australia has been very, very lucky with its non-economic response to the crisis. Testing has been very widespread for a sparsely populated and very remote nation, meaning that actual cases have been extremely low compared to its European or North American contemporaries. But with all of that aside, it must be recognised that the Australian economic response was pretty good. The central foundation of the stimulus was to massively increase welfare payments, which went from $250 to $500 per week for people on unemployment benefits. This meant that people that fell out of work through no fault of their own were able to maintain a certain lifestyle during the crisis. I mean, $500 Australian dollars a week is not exactly making it rain money, but the government figured that most people would be stuck at home anyway, so this is enough for the bare essentials. This was all made better by perhaps the more inspired part of the Australian response. This was a huge incentive to employers to keep their employees employed. The aptly named JobKeeper payment is a $750 per week payment made to businesses that had suffered under the lockdown restrictions, with the stipulation that they had to receive the payment and pass it along to their employees, even if there was nothing for them to do. This was essentially a welfare check but because it had to be passed through businesses, it effectively maintained the professional relationship between an employee and the employer. Sometimes one of the most difficult problems with handling unemployment is that businesses really do not want to bring new people on board. Employees are expensive to train and there is no guarantee that a new employee is even going to be a good fit for the company anyway. So it's a big risk and a lot of businesses would rather just keep on operating short staffed. This JobKeeper welfare plan effectively preempts this resistance to re-employment by just keeping people employed on paper. So the Australian scheme has kind of done what a good response to this crisis should do. It is recognised that we are not going to be able to fix the economic crisis before we fix the health crisis. And it's probably irresponsible to even try. So the next best thing is to effectively put the economy into hibernation do the bare minimum to keep it alive and make sure all the systems still work when it can spring back into action. If we were going to give it a score, it would probably be a solid 7 out of 10, only losing points because of the luck factor, in the sense that the crisis has not really hit Australia too hard and potentially losing some points because the government has kind of been a bit aloof with committing to the details of these policies, particularly around how long they will last which does not help the collective confidence that the nation needs so desperately right now. But overall, it's difficult to find too many flaws with this kind of approach. So, good on you Australia. So this leads us neatly on to another thing that we may get to witness firsthand amidst this global crisis, and that is a widespread rollout of a universal basic income.
Universal basic income is an idea that has gained a lot of traction in recent years and this crisis has brought it back into the spotlight after the news that many nations from Spain to Indonesia might consider rolling out this radical economic tool to address the financial turmoil in the world right now. The idea of this plan is that every eligible resident of a nation gets a set payment from the government every month for a set amount of money. If you are unemployed, you get a set UBI. If you are a Fortune 500 CEO, you get a set UBI. There are a lot of advantages to this type of welfare system. For starters, it is a lot easier to administer. You don't have to worry about employing an army of welfare administrators to make sure the right people are getting the right payments for the right policies. It's just a nice, simple, one-size-fits-all payment. Beyond that, it also takes a lot of the unfairness out of some of these policies. People are very quick to feel hard done by if they see a an elderly person or a single mother with 18 children or whatever it may be getting a lot of money from the government when they are not. If we had a system like this, it may just take that element out of the equation as well. Beyond that, if it is classed as regular income, it will sort of work itself out with taxes. If you consider someone who is unemployed, they are going to be in a very low income tax bracket. Depending on what your universal basic income payment is, they might not have to pay any of it back. And then, if we consider our Fortune 500 CEO, they are going to have to pay back a good chunk of this extra income as income tax purely because they are in a higher income tax bracket. So, it effectively self-regulates, which is awesome. A universal basic income has a lot of interesting advantages, most of which we have explored in more detail on our video looking at the economics of Andrew Yang. But, is this a cure to the crisis? Well, no. Probably not. The economic benefit of a universal basic income is that it gives people money to go out and spend which will recirculate around their economy to create more wealth. It does cause demand pool inflation, but it's supposed to. So long as the whole thing can help more people generate more wealth more effectively, we actually kind of like this type of inflation because it causes people to not hoard vast piles of cash and slow down a consumption-based economic machine that we have created. But all of this assumes that people actually have the ability to go out and consume, which right now, they really do not. With shops and restaurants and gyms and all of that good stuff closed down, the only thing that people really have to spend money on is bare essentials and online goods and services. Money spent online tends to be spent with larger institutions with less of a propensity to recirculate that money around the economy. Whereas if you compare spending the same amount of money at a local restaurant or something, there is a good chance that most of that money will find its way back into the local economy as the owner of the restaurant hires new staff or pays contractors or even just spends their profits on their own needs. And all of that is great. Because none of this local spending can really take place though right now, a universal income is just not the right solution. To really stretch the analogy of an economy in hibernation, this would be like feeding that economy a big fat protein shake. Look, it's probably not going to hurt anything, but all of that proteiny goodness is probably better administered when the economy is active again to really get the full benefits out of everything this system has to offer. Now, this is not to say it's a bad policy. To the contrary, a universal basic income has a lot going for it, and I hope that nations do explore this idea further in the future, but now is just not the right time. Let's give it a 4 out of 10 and Hope the rollout takes long enough that it actually is dispersed when people can go out and spend as it was intended. Now, as interesting as all of this is, its relevance pales in comparison 
to the largest stimulus bill in history. So the USA has now become the nation hardest hit by this crisis. If anything, its economic response has the most riding on it purely because it looks like it's going to take the longest to recover. This is of course all compounded by the additional complexities of an upcoming federal election, which may push governments to favour short-term fixes over long-term solutions. Now whatever you think of the administrative process to this whole debacle is completely irrelevant for what we're here to look at, which is just the economics of the government stimulus plan, which is, if anything, undoubtedly American. It's huge, it's expensive, it's bureaucratic, and it's blunt. But maybe that's not such a bad thing. The government has received all manner of criticisms for the rollout that gave comparatively very little financial assistance for people that have become unemployed, instead giving a majority of the $2 trillion to companies that should have really planned for situations like this. Now, there is probably a moral argument to be made here, but in reality, this may simply be one of two things. The first is that, of course, we have a Republican president, which is a party that tends to lean more to the side of pro-business and f poor people. And maybe this response is purely a product of political ideologies and backroom deals. Who can really say? But it would be foolish to simply write this off as a blatant handout to big business. The thing that must be remembered amongst all of this is that boosting consumer demand through handouts to people with a high propensity to consume is a great way to solve a purely economic crisis like, say, the debt crisis of 2008. But what was true with a universal basic income is true with a regular handout. If people can't spend it, it doesn't do much good. America is a unique nation because in a sense, a lot of its prosperity comes from sitting on top of a vast corporate empire. And you know what? Making sure this empire stays intact during this rocky ride may be the best thing to do right now. So long as the government can at least consider a regular economic stimulus for regular folks once the dust has settled. As for the score out of 10, well, I really can't say. I guess the ultimate consensus will be drawn later this year in the election, but until then, feel free to argue about it in the comments section. Whoever gives a score with the most compelling argument for or against gets featured in the next video. Now, a lot of people have asked me, hey you, mysterious internet video man, what would you do if you were president right now? And the simple answer is, I would probably be doing what everybody else is doing, giving out bags and bags of money to try and keep my economy alive long enough for this whole thing to blow over. So while it's fun to play king for a day, sometimes we have to realise that world leaders are not always the silly billies they are made out to be, and most of them have got where they are today by making the right decisions at the right time. What I would do though, with the power of hindsight, is encouraging saving. I have joked about it before, but modern economic theories despise those who save their money and see it purely as dead capital that could have otherwise been out there circulating around and boosting economic growth. And while this is true, it is a very two-dimensional look at the economy. In reality, record low interest rates that favour borrowers more than savers and a society built around instant gratification is the reason why something like an otherwise unrelated health crisis will lead to a deep and dark economic crisis. Hi guys, thanks for watching the latest video. If you enjoyed, please consider liking and subscribing. 
If you are from a lucky country with generous economic stimulus during these trying times, then make sure to share some of that sweet, sweet government money with us over on Patreon like these lovely people did. It really does help to make these videos possible. Otherwise, our Q&A stream will be held the same as always over on our second channel or on our Discord server. Both of those are linked in the video description. So if you have any questions, comments or concerns about the video, jump on over there for a chat. Thanks guys, bye.